G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Most Christians, indeed most people in general, are familiar with one of the best-known parables that Jesus told, the story of the Good Samaritan. And when one of the teachers of the law asked Jesus, Who is my neighbour? This is where Jesus' reply was so, so important. And I'm going to read to you this passage, it's only short, out of the Bible. And Jesus' answer to the lawyer who asked, Who is my neighbour? And Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Jesus then asks a pointed question. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Well, our special guest this morning has written a book about the Good Samaritan, reflecting on the things that we can glean from that very powerful story. Margaret Gosson is principal at St. Maroon's College in Marrickville in Sydney. Her book is called Samaritan Journey, Compassion, Subversion and Discipleship. Margaret, a special welcome along to 2020. Thank you, Neil. It's an honour to be here. Margaret, I'm surprised, as no doubt you are too, even in the mainstream media, you'll often see news stories about anyone who stops to help, and they're called a good Samaritan. It's sort of a a part of our national understanding of what it is to stop and help. People say, oh, you're being a good Samaritan. This is something that surprises you too? Uh, Well, it's kind of part of our law, isn't it? There's, of course, the Samaritan law um, in the New South Wales law, I know. Uh, It's it's part of our common language now. Uh, In most countries, you'll, you'll hear it, the good Samaritan law, where... You know, you don't have to stop, but you're willing to stop and aid someone who's in need. And I think it's an important part. I was actually, I don't know if you realise in my book also, um, in Malaysia, I believe it is, they're trying to implement that law as well over there. So it's something that people are keen to do and take up. 
And that would be very interesting in Malaysia because Malaysia has like a Muslim foundation yes, to its government. Right. And so yes. uh, to use a New Testament uh, story, yes. and of course, yes, the, Jesus, of course, is uh, one of the figures as people in Islam do study. But yes, to have that as part of a multicultural way of mm. thinking about how you help people. That's right. I think I think it's necessary. Otherwise, what type of a society are we if we, you know, we aren't, good Samaritans to one another and we don't have it embedded in our law, you know, the need to care for and protect those who are less fortunate. Margaret, in your book, no doubt you go into all sorts of depth around Jesus and the good Samaritan, but in the biblical world, as I understand it, Samaritans were seen as traitors of their faith. They were even hated by the Jews. Yeah, they were. I wonder if you can take us into the way the biblical world saw the relationship between Jews and Samaritans, because that sheds so much light, doesn't mm. it, on the story? Yeah, um, it, it's uh, it goes back to the Old Testament um, and the division, but they're not very far apart in their beliefs. It's just that the, the Samaritans, the Jews had in previous centuries, were had married outside the Jewish culture, and so they were reviled. That they were then known as the Samaritans. Um, and they, yes, the Jews did not like the Samaritans at all. So when Jesus is telling this parable about you know a priest passing by and a Levite passing by, and the two you expect to stop and show mercy, and then to say a Samaritan passes by, it would be the biggest insult to the Jewish listeners that Jesus was speaking to. They were they were not. Uh, appreciated at all that was seen as um well dirty if you want to use that term for the to the jews so this was actually so confronting that the yeah. the lawyer the lawyer who was uh, who was in the whole uh, issue asking the question well he started uh, it all didn't he <laughs> he would have been absolutely yeah. shocked by jesus oh, yeah. response yeah and i don't think he like he didn't want to answer the question either in the end when jesus asked him you know which of three do you think was a neighbor I think he would have responded quite reluctantly to that question as well, to have to admit that it was the Samaritan. In fact, as we read there in the story, he didn't even want to say the word Samaritan. <laughs> so right. when yeah. we talk about hatred, uh, understanding mm. that first century difference between mm. the Samaritans and the Jews, is that a key, do you think, to understanding just the powerful nature of this yeah. parable? Yeah. yeah, otherwise you just water down the parable. You need to see it as a shock tactic. And a lot of Jesus' parables were meant to subvert, to, you know, turn over the whole system. So if we're just reading it as a nice story where one guy just happens to stop and help, it's not meant to be like, it's meant to be confronting. That the most unlikeliest person, the one that we revile or detest or, you know, that's the very, very person that will assist us. So Jesus, you know, packed a punch with this parable. So when we're reading it from our Australian context, if we don't understand hatred between two races here, uh, then Mm. we're actually going to miss the point. Otherwise, it's just three people came along. You know, let me tell you the story about three people. But the third person actually is hated, and that makes makes the parable all the more powerful. Yeah, Yeah, that's right, especially if you put put yourself in the position of the man who's been beaten and, and to wake up and to see your enemy before you, you know. What are your thoughts there? So it, yeah, it, it's meant to uh, awaken us 
and to knock us out of our little world and our, you know, our stereotyping of other people. So Jesus is saying, get out of all that stereotype. It's boundary breaking, this, this parable. It's saying there's more out there. You've got to understand people. You can't box them in and stereotype them. The response to the lawyer answering the question, who is my neighbour? And uh, yeah. while we're talking about this in the first century context, I wonder if you've got a thought or two as to how this sort of thing applies to us in the 21st century context. Because as we read that parable, uh, mm. we can miss the point if we don't understand the culture of yeah. the day. But how does this apply to you, do you think, to us today, Margaret? I, in a number of ways. I think when a lot of us, when you read the word neighbour today, you know, we all think of our next door neighbour. We don't think neighbour as, uh, understanding neighbour as, you know, who is out there. Um, and the other thing with this parable, when Jesus says, who is my neighbour, generally think, we think about, well, who is the person next to us? Here he's kind of switched over the questions to kind of tell us where are we a neighbour to others? Um, so there's a few ways we can look at this question. Uh, but it, the whole the whole idea of what's neighbour today, it's not just your next door neighbour or, or the person you put a fence up against. Your neighbour is basically anyone you encounter, anyone in, in this case, anyone in particular need will become your neighbour and and the re- response is well, how are you a neighbour to them as well. And that could be anyone. Well, I want to invite listeners to join into our conversation today and you might have your own uh, deeper thoughts about this particular parable and who is my neighbour. And 1-800-316-316 is our number. Our talkback line is open and we are talking about this parable of the Good Samaritan. So 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation. In fact, let's take a call. Dave is in Ballina in New South Wales. Hi, Dave. Welcome along. Good morning, Neil. And um, I'm sorry, I forgot the name of your it's guest. Margaret. There. Margaret. Um, Margaret. Well, Margaret. Um, got an interesting okay. bit of a curveball here. Um, mm-hmm. Most countries have enacted a thing in their um, judicial system where you have a the Good Samaritan Act, which will give you yep. immunity to prosecution. And I'm That's wondering right. how far that can extend in today's present society because we do have a society that's very litigious. And, you know, I think some people mm-hmm. actually pull back from being that's that right. Good Samaritan for fear of being dragged into court. And I'm actually can be attested to this because I'm actually had become a criminal because mm-hmm. I did something in good faith uh, for no remuneration for the good of my community. So how does that go? Wow. Dave, uh, very interesting. Margaret, what are your thoughts for Dave here? That's a tough one because I did, I, I do recall writing stuff about it in the book. But, yeah, there, there are a lot of people today who are afraid to become the Good Samaritan because, yes, unfortunately, uh, due to legalities, if you do harm to the person in without, you know, meaning to, you could be liable for it. So even though they say you know you're a good Samaritan, you're not. You can't be taken to court or whatever. There are some loopholes there that you know could lead you to be convicted of um, something. I did actually harm, and it wasn't actually a person. It was actually a plant, and I became oh, a criminal. So that's how far we've gone in Australia. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It's a worry. I know. It's a shame, but that's that's the reality. But look. <laughs> I don't think that should stop us 
from what it should and prevent us from continuing to do what we can to assist those. Let's hope the court system and the justice system does see some sort of sense, you know, common sense in what a person does and what their intentions are. But yes, it's a very difficult world we live in, unfortunately. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson, helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Our talkback line open, 1-800-316-316. We're talking about Jesus and the parable of the Good Samaritan. Talking about what happened in the first century and what can we glean to be able to apply in the 21st century. Margaret Gosson is our guest. She's principal at St. Maroon's College in Marrickville in Sydney. Her book is called Samaritan Journey, Compassion, Subversion and Discipleship. And you have explored all sorts of different characters that are a part of this parable. Let's talk about the lawyer for a few moments here. Uh, Margaret, the lawyer comes to Jesus and wants to test him and uh, asks him, Teacher, Uh, What must I do to inherit eternal life? So here's more context for this parable here. How do you see the lawyer in all of this? Oh, he's the instigator, isn't he? (laughs) (laughs) He just wants to get up and and prove himself. Uh, So, you know, he's he's considered among the Jews someone who's very significant, educated, well-informed. So, And, of course, Jesus at the time was a very controversial figure. So for the lawyer to stand up, he's deliberately standing up to, you know, challenge Jesus. Uh, so he asks the question. Uh, of course, he knows what the answer is, and Jesus gives it back to him, and Jesus tells him, well, what do you think it is? And, you know, he knows what the response is, but he continues to harass Jesus. So the law is probably many of us today, in a way. We all want to um, prove our worth, uh, make ourselves look good in front of others, and we have no qualms about putting other people down um, to make ourselves look a lot better. So... Yeah, I think I think Jesus gives gives back to him what he deserves in a way. So. <laughs> Margaret, when the lawyer asks the question, um, mm-hmm. uh, of course, uh, his thoughts are, uh, you know, uh, the law instructs him to love. Yep. Well, this is Jesus' yep. reply. Uh, love God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all yep. your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. So, uh, that's mm. the sort of response that we all might say because, you know, if we're doing a trivia test, that's the answer you give, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, pretty much, isn't it? And they're the main, they're the great commandments and the second great commandment in the Old Testament. So it was, he was well versed in that. So that's what you'd expect. So love your neighbour as yourself. It's easy to roll those words off your tongue about mm-hmm. loving the Lord your God and loving your neighbour. All of a sudden, yep. uh, you know, who is my neighbour? That's mm-hmm. what we're talking about today. One eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Let's take another call, Margaret. Martin okay. is on the line from Albany in Western Australia. Hello, Martin. Okay. Welcome. Good day, Neil. Good day, Margaret. Um, Hi, Neil, Martin. you mentioned um, that we live in a Western civilization or in Australia where we don't really have enemies, but I tend to think that we're actually becoming quite tribal now. What's your thoughts on, like, for example, you, you've got the vaccinated, the unvaccinated, who are you know, uh, you've got the left, you've got the right, the conservative versus the progressive. There's, there seems to be quite a bit of division happening. What's your thoughts on that, uh, Margaret? I'll throw you in the deep oh. end here, Margaret. 
I know I agree with him actually. <laughs> when yeah. you did say that, Neil, I, when you did say before, you know, there's not much hate or whatever in Australia. I thought, oh, I kept quiet, but I agree. Um, there is a lot of tension. I, I agree, tribalism. Uh, yes, the vaccinated and the not vaccinated. Anything these days seems to cause a division among people, which is a real shame. Um, the religious versus the non-religious. It is there. It might not be so evident. Uh, we, we wouldn't see it as, you know, fighting or wars, but it's it's implicitly there in the way we just ignore people or in the way we um, respond to people. There is, there is. And, and that's that's natural. It's in every culture, every society, every nation. You're going to always find division here and there and so on. And I think the beauty of this parable is to basically say, well, whatever your divisions are and whatever your reasons for hating another... Ultimately, they all pretty much collapse in the face of this parable where Jesus is basically saying you have no right to have um, any hatred or any borders set up between you and the other. Uh, does that uh, answer your uh, thought or question there, Martin? Uh, I mean, this idea of tribalism, yes, it's clearly something that our society is disintegrating into. And uh, Martin, any more thoughts there? Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, Margaret mentioned, um, thanks, Margaret. Uh, Margaret, you did mention that it's natural, but, but I've, I've sort of heard a few commentators say that the West has kind of divide, has kind of got rid of a lot of the tribalism, but we are now almost falling back into what is everywhere. Um, and it's unfortunate that, we're, what, what you, that we are going in that trend, which but perhaps in the decades past we weren't. Yeah, I, I see. I understand what you're saying. There is, there is subtle. Um, there is a trend where, yes, we are kind of falling back to conservative kind of style here. I don't know. I would say it's provoked by the fact that if you go to one extreme, then you're always going to get a response from the other extreme as well. I mean, Australia seems to be pushing towards secular society, anti-religious mode. Um, that's always going to get a kickback. You're always going to get people who are going to respond in the opposite way. So, uh, Martin, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. Just before we move on to take another call, uh, just reminded, and from time to time, this comes up in a conversation about what the Christian position is as we do descend into a level of tribalism. And I'm reminded of... Galatians chapter 3 and verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Mm -hmm. And that wonderful uh, scripture from Galatians chapter 3, in some sense, it undergirds the attitude of the Samaritan here to helping the, the man who was who was knocked up, uh, knocked about by the robbers. Uh, there's something special in our Christian faith that actually does move towards a unity again, doesn't it, Margaret? It does. Um, and that's that quote you just gave, Galatians 3.20, that's one of my favourites and uh, that's the one I always teach my students as well. Very, very important quote there. Um, yes, that's the, the, the Christian challenge is always to show equality and justice to others. Not that it always happens. I mean, it depends on how people interpret the, the Gospels um, 
and their own attitudes to life. But yes, the fundamental, and we can't deny it, the fundamental teaching of Jesus, of the whole Bible, is you know care for those who are less fortunate, the equality of everyone. I mean, the Old Testament is replete with always care for the widow, the orphan, the, the foreigner, the alien, the one who's considered, you know, our enemies. So we can't sit there and justify our divisions and our hatred even though we think we can. Taking calls, 1-800-316-316. Let's take a call from Penny in Tasmania. Hello, Penny. Welcome along. Hello, Neil. Hello, Margaret. How Hi, are Penny. you? Very good. good. Um, that's good. Look, I want to I wanna give you a story that is um, quite bright and, um, and helpful to those who want to help others. When I lived in Brisbane, I was at a bus station, which I was at often enough, and I always found someone, when I was looking up to see the number on the bus, because my vision wasn't good, I always had someone who would pop up and say, what number bus are you looking for? And... Um, I actually had other people join in, and it was fabulous, and I always got very excited and and really praised God for that, because that meant I got home safe. (laughs) (laughs) Great story. You know, and I, I even here in Tasmania, I have found the same thing. So people all over, whether they're in tribalism or not, or in any other, there's always someone there who wants to help someone else. Wonderful stuff, Penny. And there might even be something that's ingrained in Australian culture uh, that understands this principle of being helpful. And uh, we've you know, grown up over this past 250 years uh, to a mm. point where we can say that these things have marked us in Australian society. Uh, Margaret, your thoughts for Penny? I think that's a wonderful story, Penny, and I, I like it because a lot of the times we're afraid, we think, oh, how can I be a good Samaritan? And what you just said there is is perfect. We're, God is not asking the impossible of us. He's simply asking what we can do to do. And in this case, it was just simply assisting Penny to see what the bus number was. I mean, that's a, that's what a neighbor, being a neighbor is. That's what being a good Samaritan is all about. And I, I thank you, Penny, for that wonderful story. Thank you so much, Penny. 1-800-316-316. Let's take another call before news. Uh, Luciana is in Melbourne. Hello, Luciana. Welcome. Uh, hello. How are you? Very Thank good. you so much. Hi, Lu- what are your Hi, thoughts? Margaret. Hi, how are you? Well, yeah, good. For me, I always apply the principle of what Jesus said. Whatever you do to the least... Of these you have done unto me. So, but the Holy Spirit, it puts it on your heart, whatever, to to bake a casserole or to bring flowers or to bring a word of encouragement. And usually there is a lot of opportunities, yeah. Wonderful, Luciana. Your thoughts for Luciana, Margaret? I like the way you've connected Luciana Matthew 25 with Luke 10. So, and, and that's another example, as we can see throughout the Gospels, every single Gospels, and throughout the Bible and throughout all our lives, you know, it, it's, it's there. The, the idea of doing good, of caring, it, whatever form it takes, um, it's, it's present. 
um, and we can't deny. I think we're just born. I don't think naturally. You know, we've had the movie what's of that book, Lord of the Flies, where, you know, what happens to people if they're left on their own and they become savages? Um, or are we, if we're left to be who we are, are we bearing people? And I'd like to argue and I'd like to believe that, you know, generally we're good people at heart and we like to do good things for one another. Luciana, thank you so much for your call and an interesting concept to say that, uh, you know, left to our own devices. In other words, take God out of the equation mm. and we are mm. in a pathway, uh, perhaps reducing into savagery. And uh, we don't want to think of our nation of Australia like that, but that may be uh, partly what we see as we uh, descend into this tribalism. Margaret, taking calls on 1-800-316-316, lots more things to uh, to venture into when it comes to this story. But let, let's take another call, though, before we get into some of those. David is in Logan in Queensland. Hello, David. Welcome along. Hello. Thank you. What are your thoughts, um, David? Yeah, um, well, the story of the Good Samaritan is a good example of how, how we are supposed to treat strangers in that are in need, but I think it also can, we, we can also play the Good Samaritan to, to the people that are closest to us as well, like family members and friends, you know, we're, we're, we're to be merciful to them as well. David, what a fabulous point. Yep. Sometimes we're talking about the big picture outside strangers. Hey, this has to happen close to home too. Margaret, what are your thoughts for David? Uh, hi, David. I totally agree. Charity begins at home, as they say. Um, if we can't show love and mercy to our own family members and to those around us, then um, I think it's going to be a bit of a farce if we pretend to show it to other people. Um, and as I, and I, I think to take that even further um, in regards to family and so on, I think that's where we learn to be good Samaritans, or we, we hope that's the place the family is considered, you know, the, the local church. If that's the place where we should be learning about Jesus, about compassion, about mercy, and from that it, it, it expands to the outer world. Uh, David, does that answer your thought there? That's fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, David. Well done, David. one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen to join in our conversation. Uh, David makes a particularly important point, and I guess this comes down to parenting. Uh, Margaret, the idea that parents need to be showing these good Samaritan virtues uh, to role model them for our children. Any thoughts around the value of this parable when it comes to our parenting and how our children are being raised? Uh, look, I, if I speak from my own personal experience, I think parenting plays a very, very big role in, in, in children. And as a principal of a school, I see that also here. Uh, you can see those the kids reflect what their parents are like and what their family situation is at home. Um, I think that's very essential. Uh, family is, is, is what we'd call um, the, the first church, really. It's where that, It's where they learn about about everything and those who do come from broken families or, 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 or families that are struggling it will be reflected in the way they behave as well so yes it's fundamental we've been talking about the lawyer and jesus response and uh, a completely opposite response to what the lawyer was anticipating but there's some other characters in this story too and you've given thought to the priest who passed mm-hmm. by on the other side and the Levite who passed by yeah. on the other side. And I, I wonder if you've got any insights that we might glean from their actions and why they didn't stop to help. 
Okay, so this is probably also you also need to know, know a bit about the background um, of the Old Testament and, and, and the time of Jesus. So there's a lot of laws in Jewish, in the Jewish faith. Uh, in fact, it's a, it's a legalistic code. And for priests or for anyone, there's all this whole idea of, you, of purification and, and um, if you touch someone who was bleeding or someone, you know, who was dying and so on, you could be made impure, which then would mean for the priest they couldn't serve at the temple, which means they had to make themselves absent for a number of days or weeks until they were purified again, and then they could continue there. So you might justify, you could justify the priest's actions, and although I don't agree with it, but you could argue the point that they were just following a legalistic code at the time. You know, you had to keep yourself pure and not touch a bleeding person, etc. But the greater law that Jesus does say is to love your neighbour um, and to love God and to love your neighbour. So which law do you follow? If, in this case, the priest decided to follow the law of, you know, well, I shouldn't touch a bleeding person because I'll be made impu- in, unclean. Mm, well. But the greater law is, well, you know, care for those in need. In this case, the man was, as the gospel puts it, half dead. So he was in serious need. So I think the need of a person outweighs any other law or impurity purity laws. What a great insight. What about the Levite? How do we understand this character? <laughs> I call him in the book. I think he's just one of those ones that just follows everyone else. So the priest did it, so he does it. I, don't know. I, that, I just had that insight while I was writing the book. But look, the Levite was also expected to... Both, both of these, the priest and the Levite are religious people, and they were both expected to do the right thing which is, you know, compassion and mercy, both failed. Um, And I think we just hide behind one another. He did it, I did it, he did it, so I did the same thing, so on. I don't think we can justify either of their actions. They both saw what was in front of them and chose to ignore um, the the necessity of acting. The Samaritan himself, uh, I wonder whether, you know, other insights around uh, the reasonings why he might have stopped uh, because uh, yes wonderful to reflect on the priest and those sorts of cultural issues that were going on for uh, the Jewish priesthood and the Levite maybe uh, saw the priest go before and thought I'll swap the sides of the road as well and I'll I'll pass by mm-hmm. and I'll, I'll avoid that whole circumstance that situation uh, but what about uh, the, the the Samaritan any further insights into why he stopped maybe he maybe he saw everyone crossing over and was tempted to do that but then something be. else yeah so how do you reflect on him uh, i wrote in the book that he the way they've written it was like he kind of came up and then saw so perhaps he didn't see the guy until he was right face to face with him and saw the reality of the situation but i think the bigger word here is he was moved with pity uh he let his heart speak and i think a lot of us harden our hearts he had empathy whereas the other two didn't so I think that's important here. And he, wasn't, he was one that was not expected to stop because he's the Samaritan. But he is the one that did stop. And I think the simple reason was he saw the man was in dire straits and he was half dead, as they describe him. So he felt he, need, he was moved to do something. I wonder whether the virtue of the heart being moved to do something when you come across someone half dead is something that you are born with, some sort of innate, uh, you know, an innate type of a, a emotional response to hardship or whether something like that might be learned. Uh, what are your thoughts here? 
It's a very interesting question. I always think about that one. Um, uh, I, look, I, I, I'd like to believe, I feel that most people have a heart, they, they have a sense of compassion, they can be moved with empathy. That's my experience generally. But then again, um, I think it was about a year or two ago in, in America, they had it on the news where a couple of teenage boys were watching a man in the, in the lake. He was drowning and he was waving and screaming and asking for help. And they just stood there laughing at him and videoing him. So when I heard that story a couple of years, about a year ago, that struck me to the core and got me thinking, you know, are we that callous? Have we become so apathetic about things? I don't know. I just, but look, there was, I know there was a major outrage about that incident in America and, and people were in shock about it and so was I. So look, there may be circumstances where people have, have lost their... Um, ability to empathize but I don't think you can lose it further I think you can build your empathy you can learn to be more compassionate it's the the, the life the direction we take in our lives that determine I think how compassionate we become or how how distant we become toward uh, with others I wonder about how far you go as a good Samaritan if you're empathizing and you're standing on the beach uh, putting yourself in the place of those young people and uh, seeing someone drown- drowning. And, uh, and you might be saying, oh, well, let's just film that. There's someone waving out in, out, out in the ocean. I mean, how far do you go to be a good Samaritan? In that case, you might hope that we'd all say, well, let's see if we can rescue the person uh, or at least call for help because not everybody has the capacity, not everyone's a strong swimmer and a life-saving train sort of thing. But, but how far do you go to be a good Samaritan? Samaritan. Okay, it it could range from a, a good Samaritan is basically anyone who does who does good to someone in need. So it could be as simple as um it was, as what was her name was I think it was Penny was saying you know reading out the bus numbers to a person, yep. and it can go so far as you know to risk your life for someone else. Uh, all of those are good Samaritans, but in the parable, what we seem to read here is um you. The, the extreme. This Samaritan went to quite a quite a length of you know helping this person. He picks him up. He bandages the wound. He pours wine and oil on them. Um, he puts him on his donkey. Takes him to the inn. Pays for his uh, recuperation and returns. So he spent quite a significant amount of time there. So the question is a good question. How far do we go to be a good Samaritan? I think whatever you do, whatever is good, is good Samaritan. But we are always called to do more or to do as much as we can. We can't just go halfway. And as citizens, and uh, let's not get too political around all of this because uh, I'm not sure whether there's a political dimension in the whole uh, issue, but perhaps there is. Uh, but but how far do we go? I mean, it's one thing, isn't it, to uh, play nurse and bandage mm. a wound. It's yep. another thing to you know, lobby on behalf of the homeless and the disadvantaged. Yes. Uh, yes. What are your thoughts about, you know, community action and citizenship and good Samaritanship? Look, I think each person has their way of showing compassion. I'll just read a quote here from Master Eckhart, which says, compassion means justice. Now, that's quite powerful. I, look, I think each person approaches it in their own way, but there are two ways you can pretty much be a good Samaritan. One is, as you said, bandaging the wound, which is things like um, 
soup kitchens, uh, hand, uh, you know, just helping a person with their daily tasks, etc. The other one is preventing the wound, and that's more the justice side of things, where you, you know, you'll want to lobby the government or petition the government about certain legislations, etc. I personally, I, I've, uh, I'm more, maybe because I'm an introvert, I don't know, but for me, the bandaging the wound comes easier to me. For others, preventing the wound. So you can't say one is right, one is wrong. I think we, but we need both, but different people, one of these appeals to them more than the other. So, And in a modern context, you're talking about the man who was attacked by robbers. In a modern context, you might say, what's happening with our policing and law and order? Because if you're talking about prevention, if you were applying that to the Good Samaritan story, you might say, well, if there was more police activity on the street, the robbers would not have beaten up the man and left him half dead. So I guess there's, a, there's that element, isn't there? Yeah, but you know what? There's always going to be, no matter how many policing we put out there or whatever, there's always going to be, as you just said, you're always going to have the poor, you're always going to have those people with you. So there's always going to be the opportunity to be the good Samaritan. There's always going to be the opportunity to be the criminals who fight. There's always going to be the, there's always going to be people out there who are going to be like the police who try to prevent these things from happening. What about the generosity of this good Samaritan? Because not only did he uh, pick the man up and uh, he looked to bandage the wounds, poured in the oil and the wine and, uh, you know, and, and whatever uh, medicinal value that has, but he took him to the inn. Uh, there was probably no hospital to take him to, so uh, let's get him a room for the night or a time to recover and actually paying the bill. There's a certain generosity here. Have you reflected on that? Yeah, it's very generous, um, perhaps over-generous for us. Well, I mean, we think, oh, we can't go that far. Um, so what he gives is two denarii, which is like two days' worth of um, employment, so two days' worth of pay. So he's given quite a significant amount of money to the innkeeper. I don't think many of us are willing to go that far, but I think ultimately... Uh, what is what what we could argue here is money is to be used for the benefit of others, not for our own selfishness. And at the same time, whatever it takes to help a person recover should be provided. By whom is another question, I suppose. But yes, he does. The Samaritan does exceed the generosity we we would probably give to another. Which is not, which is something that challenges us. Remember, the parable is meant to challenge us. I mean, we, it challenges us to say, do we really give as much as we should? Can we go further with our caregiving of others? And how far are we prepared to go? How do we use our finances um, in this world? Do we use our finances to assist others or not? I imagine that for lots of us, and I don't want to put everybody in the one boat or tar everyone with the one brush, but uh, there probably is a tendency uh, to do the least in the response. Uh, you know, you know, we could have finished the story with uh, uh, bandaging the man's wounds and saying, uh, there you go, be on your way. I'm glad I've been able to help. But there's, in your book, uh, you say you need to do what should be done and what should be done is often a lot more than what our least response is likely to be yeah that's right and 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 the Samaritan does return 
so he comes back like we would have thought oh he's fine he's taking him to the inn and that would have been enough in our circumstance in our understanding but he does come back and he pays for the bill uh what can i say about that it's a it's a generosity of heart god is generous uh we're called to be generous and as jesus says to lay down your life for your friend uh it's a hard call and being christian is a hard call uh, and we've probably watered it down a bit. But look, we're human. Uh, I think as long as we try each time to do as mu- what we can, as much as we can, we can't kick ourselves if, you know, it's, it needs to be more than that. We've got to be sensible as well. Laying down your life for your friend. Uh, mm-hmm. When we talk about this Good Samaritan story, you've got the... Uh, the uh, Samaritan and the Jewish man who's been attacked by the robbers and left half Mm. dead. Uh, Technically, they're enemies. Is Jesus saying something deeper here, Margaret, about who your friends might be or uh, who you help? Uh, Because here we've got Mm. an enemy uh, helping Mm. a enemy. That's right. Uh, I, I was. I'm curious to know when this um, beaten man wakes up and finds that the Samaritan is the one that that cared for him. What would he, what would his reaction be? Uh, it's a good question to ask ourselves. What is our reaction when we hear that someone who is our enemy has done something good? We tend to be um, in denial, or we we're suspicious of the motives. So it's a great parable to say, and Jesus is basically telling us. You know, put away your your suspicions, your hatred, your your doubts about others, and be open to the possibility that look, there is good in other people, whether you you know weren't so sure about it. Um, be open to the possibility that others do care and are willing to help. Margaret, I want to ask you about one word in the title of your book, and mm. uh, the title of the book is Samaritan Journey: Compassion. Subversion and mm. discipleship. Uh, mm. Some listeners might be thinking about that word subversion. Mm. Who does that apply to? <laughs> All right, yeah, and I think the example we were just talking about, you know, the fact that a Samaritan subverts everything that uh, subverts everyone's understanding here by doing what he did, which no one expected him to do. And then I think also the the, the priest and the lever subverted people's understandings by not doing what they were expected to do. So this applies to basically everyone, you know. Um, and Jesus' parables were meant to be like that, to call us into question, to ask us, well, do you are you really certain of what you believe or hold about another person? Are you ready to um, change your views? Um, and change yourselves as well because life is not what you think it is and people aren't what you portray them to be. Oftentimes, no doubt, here in our 21st century Australia, it's easy to be oblivious to some of the needs that are around us. You Mm -hmm. take time in your book and one of the themes that goes throughout your book is the idea of seeing how important mm-hmm. is it to lift your eyes up above uh, your uh, mobile device and <laughs> and see some of the needs that might be around us? Oh, isn't that so important? I think the two things in the book are listening and seeing, yeah, and and how we felt. And Jesus always bemoaned it, wasn't he? They see, but they look, but they do not see. 
so on. Uh, we, we don't we don't see, do we? We just see what we want to see, unfortunately. And is there some need for a divine encounter to open the eyes, to be able to see some of the needs that are around us? Is this a spiritual thing, do you think? It's a heart thing, I think. Uh, you need to have a heart that's, that's moved. Uh, it's spiritual, yes. Yeah, the grace of God comes with us and, and allows us to see things as they are. Uh, I think the heart has to be moved. We, and I think in order for the heart to move and for us to see properly, we need to have experienced care and mercy in our own lives in order to be able to share it or, to share it or give it to others. Well, Margaret, we have run out of time, but thanks so much for sharing your thoughts and your heart. Uh, Margaret Gosson, and uh, Margaret's surname is spelled G-H-O-S-N, Gosson, G-H-O-S-N. If you're looking to get a hold of Margaret's book, it's called Samaritan Journey, Compassion, Subversion and Discipleship. And uh, wherever you're listening to us today, you can certainly Google uh, the title of that book and Margaret's name, Gossen, G-H-O-S-N, and you'll be able to get a hold of that from online booksellers everywhere. Uh, Margaret, wonderful getting your insights. Thank you so much for taking some time to share those with listeners today on 2020. Well, thank you, Neil. It's been a privilege to be on, so I appreciate it. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.